Well, tonight, if you'll take your, your Bibles and um, open your Bibles tonight to Psalm chapter 51. We will start in Psalm 51. Now, while you're turning there, let me just... Uh, I want to read you part of an article uh, we've been talking about for several weeks now, sin, the issue of sin. What is it? And uh, last week we, we began looking at that the Bible talks about we have inherited sin from Adam in two ways. And last week we looked at that we have inherited guilt from Adam's sin, that we are guilty because we are from Adam, that when God, just as God in Christ looks at us and doesn't see our sin but sees the imputed righteousness of Christ, well, before our relationship with Christ, God looks at us and sees the imputed sinfulness of Adam. The guilt from Adam's sin is on us. And tonight, though, we're going to look at the second part of that, that we have inherited not only Adam's guilt, but we have inherited corruption, that we have inherited a nature from Adam that is prone to sin. We sing about it. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Uh, and so it's, it's a truth that we, we have affirmed for years um, in our doctrine. Tonight I want to just highlight it a little bit tonight. But uh, I found this article uh, on albertmoeller.com. Albert Moeller is the president of Southern, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, um, where I went to school. And uh, it's, he wrote this article in 2008. It's roughly three years old, but I think it's pretty pressing. I don't think things have changed that much since he wrote this. Let me just read this. The article is, is entitled, Has the Notion of Sin Disappeared? Kathy Lynn Grossman of USA Today asked the question, Is Sin Dead? The headline of her article in the, in the paper was, Has the Notion of Sin Been Lost? Now, keep in mind, this is a reporter writing in USA Today. Has the notion of sin been lost? Uh, early in the article, Grossman answers her own question. No, not by a long shot. Still, her report raises some important questions, some important issues about just what many people and preachers believe about sin. She also points to a question that should trouble the Christian conscience. How can Christians celebrate? I want you to hear this question. How can Christians celebrate Jesus' atonement for their sins and the promise of eternal life in his resurrection if they don't recognize themselves as sinners? Now, keep in mind, this is a secular writer writing for a secular newspaper. And she asked the question, how can Christians really celebrate the atonement of Christ for their sins if they don't see themselves as sinners? This is not a Christian writing this article. Okay, so just want you to get that. Uh, I'll skip some of it. He says, a key section of the USA Today article is this. Popular evangelist Joel Osteen. I don't want it to seem like I've got a vendetta against Joel Osteen. It's just part of the article. Um, Pastor of Lakewood Church in Houston never mentions sin in his TV sermons or bestsellers such as Your Best Life Now. I never, this is Joel Osteen talking now. He says, I never thought about using the word sinners, but I, I probably don't, he says, uh, in talking with Larry King in an interview. Uh, Most people already know what they're doing wrong. When I get them to church, I want to tell them that you can change. 
That's what Joel Osteen said in, in this interview with Larry King. The, uh, this secular reporter, she goes on and she says, a preacher who never thought of using the word sinner? If people already know what they are doing is wrong, why do we need the law of God? What we should ask are, uh, what are the consequences of sin? Furthermore, does he really believe that the gospel is about how we can change ourselves? That's not the gospel of Christ. This is Al Mohler talking now. That's not the gospel of Christ, but the false gospel of the self-help movement. Self-help movement. Uh, he goes on. I'll skip over a lot here. Um, he says, The eradication of guilt and shame is one of the primary goals of the therapeutic culture. And the movement has been hugely successful. Sin is now celebrated in so many cases, not scandalized. Um, case in point, remember Bill Clinton? Sin is celebrated, not scandalized. Bill Clinton uh, became wildly popular based on his sin. He was celebrated. He became a rock star in the minds of many young adults when he had his affair with Monica Lewinsky. Uh, the article offers much more. Perhaps the most interesting angle on the story is the fact that the secular world seems to understand that something has changed when it comes to the preaching of many churches and the beliefs of many who call themselves Christians. Um, we are reminded yet again that an understanding of sin is preliminary to understanding the gospel. The magnitude of our sin explains the necessary magnitude of Christ's atonement. As John Bunyan observed, no sin against God can be little because it is against the great God of heaven and earth. But if the sinner can find out a little God, it may be easy to find out little sins. This whole thing is about how sin seems to be disappearing. And one, part in, one phrase in the article said something to the effect of uh, people don't believe in sin anymore that they still believe that probably it's something that exists, but it's not as severe as it once was. I don't think we can get to that point. I think we're dangerously uh, going down a very, very dangerous road if we get to that point where we see sin as something small and trite and something that we can simply work our way out of, that we can do, as Joel Osteen said, change ourselves, that we can sort of pick ourselves up by the bootstraps. I love the John Bunyan quote. Basically what it means is that uh, if we see our sins for what they really are, a huge, rebellious offense to the God of heaven, then the atonement of Christ also is huge. And it deepens our worship that we celebrate what Christ has done at Calvary. But if we view sin as something that is small and everyone's doing it and we simply compare ourselves to one another and I'm not as bad as so-and-so, then Christ's atonement, likewise, is seen as not that big a deal. We have to see sin for what it really is. It is what has cast us into our current state as a world, as the universe, um, that the world was created, and sin came into the world, the world fell, and 
Christ came into the world and died for sins to redeem the world to himself. And one of these days, there will be consummation of those who have been redeemed worshiping forever around the throne. I just thought it was an interesting article, particularly dealing with this, this issue of sin that we're talking about, inheriting this corruption, this corrupt nature from Adam. Uh, sometimes this nature that we inherit from Adam is called original sin. You see this in Catholicism. You hear this and there's been movies made about original sin and, and different things. Original sin, though, really means that we have inherited a nature from Adam that is prone to sin. We are born sinners. We are born guilty and we are born prone to sin. Uh, look with, with me, if you will, at Psalm 51, verse 5. Psalm 51, verse 5 David is writing, and he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, there have been people throughout history that have said that that verse, when David's writing that, David is referring to his mother's sin, that she was committing sin whenever she conceived David. But that's not at all what it's talking about. How do, how do we know? Let me just get some feedback from you. How do we know that David here is not referring to the sin of his mother? Any guesses? Let me give you a uh, basic principle of interpreting Scripture. When you don't understand exactly what something means or there's a question about what this might mean, Widen your scope. Look to the context. Look, look, what's, look what comes before and after and all around what's being said. So let's go back to Psalm 51 and begin in verse 1. Before we even get to verse 1, tell me, somebody tell me what is the, the heading written above verse 1 in your Bible. Prayer of repentance. Does it say anything else? Anybody say anything else? Okay. Yeah, just a kind of a title there, creating me a clean heart. Mine says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. So it gives us a clue of what's going on here. That David here has experienced real conviction because a brother confronted him and now he is repenting of his sin with Bathsheba. So let's keep that in mind. Now let's, let's begin in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out whose transgression? Mine. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment then we come to our verse verse 5 behold I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me you go on past that, you drop down to verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, 
and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. If you look at the context, there's no way you can come to that conclusion. That when David says that my mother conceived me in sin, is talking about his own mother's sin. The whole thing, he's talking about his own sin. What he's saying there is, I've been sinful from the very beginning. That it wasn't my mother's sin that I'm repenting of. It's the fact that when I was conceived, when I came from the womb, I had this nature already, this bent already towards sin. And that's what he's referring to. Um, There's another verse. Turn just a few chapters over. Psalm 58. Psalm 58, verses 3 through 5. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ears so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or the cunning enchanter. That deaf adder, I got kind of hung up on that. I thought, what is that? Well, you ever, it's actually a small venomous snake uh, common in um, Europe and Asia. And uh, you ever heard of a puff adder? Uh, this is kind of kind of the same thing. Apparently, the deaf adder was a viper or a cobra that the snake charmers stayed away from because it had this innate ability to not be charmed. And so they knew, don't mess with the deaf adder. You mess with the deaf adder, and his venom's going to get you. And that's the picture here that the psalmist gives of the person without Christ. That from birth, from the womb, it says in verse 3, from the womb they are estranged. They're like, they're like that snake that has the ability to stop its ears and not be charmed. That they can look around at all of God on display. It's what Romans 1 talks about, that God has made himself abundantly clear in creation and all of this. And they have the ability to stop their ears and not be charmed by that, not give glory to the God that that, those things point to. But instead, they stay within themselves wrapped up in their own venom. Nobody has to teach a child. I'm not going to get through this tonight. I'm going to just talk a little bit. Nobody has to teach a child to sin, do they? I was at Good News Club yesterday, and all the kids sitting around on the the carpet, and I said, did your parents teach you to sin? And they kind of looked at me like, you know, what? I said, did did your mom or your dad ever pull you aside and say, now look, you know, you don't know how to lie on your own, but this this is how you do it. And all the kids, no, you know, they just laughed, you know, and all that sort of thing. Because they know it. We know it. You don't have to teach a child to sin. Sins are, uh, children are naturally drawn to it, you know. I remember when, when Micaiah was born, DVD players weren't really, they were out, but they weren't 
extremely popular yet, and the VCRs were still out and everything. You know, the, the VCR was this wonderful invention. You put this big plastic thing in, it sucks it in, you know, and it goes, and where does it go? And so, you know, he was prone to put anything in there, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right, grilled cheese sandwich, whatever it was, you know, stick that thing in there, you know. And we would look at him and we would say, Micaiah, no. He would look back at us, reach that little hand out, Micaiah, no. He would just grin. He would take a step toward it, you know, and then finally you had to reach out there and you had to swat that bottom because they disobey. Parents don't have to teach their children to sin. What parents are instructed to do is to teach their children right. Train up, a, train up a child in the way it should go, and when he is old, he won't depart from it. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 says, These things shall be on your heart constantly. You'll talk about them when you're walking here and there. You'll, you'll write them on the doorposts of your home. It's instruction. It was instruction into the lives of the Jews that they were to teach their children about God and teach them right. You don't have to teach them wrong. You teach them what's right. Ephesians, other places, instruct the family to teach your children right. Why? Because it doesn't come natural. Sin comes natural. And unfortunately, that's kind of where we'll have to end tonight. I know. But at least you can go home and talk about a puff adder a deaf adder or whatever. But we'll come back and we'll talk more about it next week. But here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to watch children. I want you to watch yourselves. Just take note of the things that you do that don't seem to make any sense. You know, the things that you do that you're sort of drawn to. You know, I know that I shouldn't eat the ice cream. I know that I shouldn't eat all that junk. Sometimes I find myself doing it and then saying, why did I do that? You know? Just take note of those things all this week. And uh, I, won't, I won't ask you to tell on yourselves next week, but maybe you can tell on somebody else, all right? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, we love you. God, I, I, we have inherited this sin nature from Adam. God, fortunately, you didn't leave us in that. God, I pray that you would show us just how big sin is so that we can then appreciate just how big the cross is all the more. And God, when we gather together and we sing songs and Ethan leads us to sing beautiful lyrics about the cross, and about the gospel, God, I pray that it would spring out of a heart that's been changed. That while we still are in these bodies and we still are dealing with the now but not yet, God, I pray that we would realize that we are new in you. That you have given us a new nature and that you are in the business of conforming us to the image of Christ.
God, I pray that we would celebrate that. God, that when you convict us, when you call us to yourself, when you call us back from the sins that we are committing, that, God, that we would not harden our hearts, but, God, that we would recognize it as your voice and that we would, as quickly as possible, turn away from the poison of the death adder and that we would find forgiveness and grace and mercy in coming back to the cross time and time and time again. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.